Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for quieting down in here so beautifully for us. Uh, welcome to everybody on live stream. Uh, it's just good to be together. It's a beautiful day. I hope you had a great discussion. I am, I'm just excited. I think God has something to say to us all um, today, and I'm excited for what, how we will hear it and how we will go forth and use what he has to, t- to teach us. I uh, just want to remind you of a couple of things. We have a couple of um, projects going on for the month of March. Um, back at our uh, at the table at the very back, there's two places to collect for Discipleship Unlimited and HEB gift cards for our Embrace Grace project. That'll be going on the whole month, so no worries. You can participate anytime. I uh, do want to remind everyone we are not meeting next week. Next week is spring break, so no classes on Thursday. But I want, to, I want you to use next week if you can. I know some of you may be getting out of town and this wouldn't be possible, but you may want to go ahead and get a week ahead on your lessons because when we get to lesson 11, we are combining 11 and 12 together. And then the following week, we're combining 13 and 14 together because we have to do that in order to get through the whole thing um, by the first week of March, of, of May. So you might want to get ahead. This would be a neat opportunity to do that. Okay, those are my announcements. Let's stand. We have one more week with the same memory verse from last week. This is Mark 6, 34. Let's all um, recite or read this together, and then we'll invite our speaker up. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So isn't it good that God is teaching them many things in the, in the context of Mark and that he's teaching us many things? He, he will continue to do that this morning. I'm excited to introduce Anna Sarton. She is the baby of our team, and she has not had an opportunity to speak yet. Come on this side. Uh, <laughs> you are in for a treat, Anna. Um, is, has been just an encouragement, a ray of sunshine for me in so many ways. And um, I'm just excited for us to hear what God has to say through Anna. So y'all can keep standing. We're going to pray for her. Just keep your legs stretched out. So join me in praying for Anna, and then we'll turn it over to her. Our mighty God, we just praise you. We praise you that you're a God of compassion, that you look out on us and you see sheep without a shepherd, and you are the good shepherd. And you teach us so many things. You've taught us this week. You've taught us in our discussion groups. You've taught Anna. You have been with her through trials and all kinds of crazy things this week so that she can be here. And God, we're just excited that you have something to say to us through Anna. So would you help her? Would you give her exactly what she needs right now in this moment? Would you um, give us an attention span um, for these next few minutes to listen and to, um, to listen for you to speak to us? very specifically, and we just look forward to what you will teach us, God. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, oops, right. I went too far. Okay. There you go. Okay, awesome. Am I on? Okay, yay. Okay, great. All right, good morning. I am very excited and quite nervous um, to be with you guys today. I'm really humbled that you would take your time to listen to what God has shared with me in the text today. Um, We've had some awesome teaching this semester, and I know this semester has been real wonky, um, so if you've missed any of them, please, please, please go back and listen to them. Um, They're really great, and they're so worth your time. 
Um, so for anybody who doesn't know me, this is my family. Um, we don't always look this nice. Um, my husband, Chris, and I have been married for 11 years. Um, Chris is a hospitalist at Scott and & White. And, oh, oh, okay, sorry heard noise. Um, <laughs> and we've lived here in Temple for about six years. Um, our son Luke is five and Laurel is three. Um, I'm grateful to be able to stay home with them most of the time, but I'm also a registered dietitian and I do a little work um, on the side with that. So, okay. <laughs> uh, last week we looked at chapter six. Um, Julie did an awesome job of walking us through the shift in focus from Jesus and his ministry to the disciples and Jesus's charge for them. The disciples have spent time with Jesus. They are observing him and learning from him. And in chapter 6, Jesus sends them out to start spreading the gospel without him right there nearby. And we see Jesus challenging the disciples to trust in him more and more and gain a progressively deeper and deeper understanding of who he is and who they are in him. Now we're going to head into chapters 7 and 8. In this week's lesson, we looked at seven events noted in Mark's rapid-fire account of Jesus' time on earth. First, there's a run-in with the Pharisees. Then Jesus heals the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, the man who is deaf and mute. And then right after that, Jesus teaches to the 4,000 and miraculously feeds them. Following that, Jesus has a brief encounter with the Pharisees and has more time alone with his disciples to instruct them. And then we end this week's section with the healing of the blind man. Jesus is not wasting any time. Throughout this book, we can see how no minute of Jesus' ministry has been wasted. Each detail is pointing us to God and his sovereignty and to Christ and him as the Messiah. So as I read through these stories and studied them and prayed over them and quite frankly fretted over what on earth I was going to share with you guys today, um, I was so frustrated that there didn't seem to be one clear sign from heaven, idea of things to a uh, way to take this today. Um, but then God put on my heart a really simple truth, that these stories, like the rest of the scriptures, call us to a deep relationship with him, a loving, intimate relationship with a respectful fear of the awesomeness of God, to learn more about his sovereignty, of his grace, of his wrath, of his mercy, his goodness, and so much more relationships. We all have them. We all want them. We all need them. But wow, are they complicated? Relationships between two sinners are complicated with the feelings, emotions, personal beliefs and convictions, personality differences. The list goes on and on. It is amazing that two people on this side of heaven can have a relationship at all. I think it's just such a gift from God that he made that possible for us. Gratefully, our relationship with God is completely different. It's unlike any other relationship we will ever have. It is a relationship between one sinner and one perfect God, a God who never changes, can always be trusted, will always love us even when we're not lovable, will forgive even when we're not forgivable by the world's standards, will extend mercy in the little details and the big life-changing moments, completely counter to our sin nature. So what's our part in this relationship? It seems pretty lopsided at this point. What can we bring to a relationship with a God that is fully holy? Jesus calls us to a personal, intimate, heart-to-heart -heart relationship with him. We are called to be with him, to experience him and his goodness. We are called to remember what he has done for us and to hope for the future to come. In him, we have a past, a present, and a future.
Let's take a look at the text for today and see where this theme comes up. At the beginning of chapter 7, the Pharisees have come to challenge Jesus. Jesus has been annoying them, disrupting the norm. From the beginning of his ministry, we've seen the religious leaders have their feathers ruffled by Jesus. In chapters 2, we saw the scribes upset when Jesus healed the paralytic and forgave his sins. And then the leaders were baffled that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus' disciples didn't follow the same fasting rules. They plucked heads of grain on the Sabbath. And the list of offenses against the Pharisees' way of life just goes on and on. So they've sent a formal delegation of Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story today. The Pharisees are already riled up and ready to pounce. So they jump at the chance to challenge Jesus by criticizing the disciples for eating with ceremonially unclean hands. And Jesus challenges them in return by calling them hypocrites and referencing Isaiah 29, 13. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then Jesus says that they leave the commands of God, and they hold to the tradition of men. They reject the commands of God and make void the word of God. That had to sting a little bit. Jesus continues on with an example of how the Pharisees had twisted the commands of God to to fit their own desires. He ends by declaring all foods clean, saying that nothing outside of a person going in can defile him, but only the things that come out of the heart can defile. He even gives a list, saying that these evil things come from within, including evil thoughts, coveting, deceit, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Well, you know the Pharisees did not like that one little bit. The Pharisees had come to discredit Jesus in his ministry, but they didn't evaluate him against the word of God, against truth. Instead, they evaluated him against their own traditions, and Jesus refutes them with the scriptures that they all would have known, which had to be pretty embarrassing for them. They had created a nice little system for themselves where they could check off a list, puff themselves with pride, and move on. Rachel did such a great job in her teaching on week three, outlining that God doesn't call us to a God and religion, where seemingly righteous acts will make us righteous. He calls us to an intimate heart-to-heart relationship. Nothing we do on our own will ever make us worthy. At our house, the Jesus Storybook Bible gets a lot of love, and I love how the author retells the story of what happens when Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Moses tells the Israelites about the commandments, and then he says, God promises to always look after you. Will you love him and keep these rules? Yes, we can do it. We promise, they say. But they were wrong. They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they never kept God's rules all the time. And God knew that they couldn't, and he wanted them to know it too, because the rules couldn't save them. Only God could save them. Well, I guess the Pharisees missed that memo. The law was meant to show what righteous living looks like. It points to Jesus and to our brokenness. The law points to good, but mercy points to a greater good. It seems that the Pharisees didn't remember why they were doing any of these things. It wasn't about status or being the most righteous. It was about their relationship with God, and they lost sight of that. They lost sight of remembering what God had done for them for abiding in him for their daily walk and hoping in him for their future. Their hope was in their traditions. Paul David Tripp summarizes the section of Mark in this way. Jesus calls us to humbly admit that the biggest danger to each of us is not the sin that lurks outside of us, but the the iniquity that resides in our hearts. 
If you think that your environment is your problem, you won't esteem grace. But once you admit that you are your biggest problem, you'll celebrate the grace that rescues you from you. We have to remember that our sin nature will always pull us away from our relationship with God and draw us into our own little me-centered worlds where we can check our list and do seemingly righteous things without truly abiding in the Lord. So where are you with your relationship with the Lord? Do you have a transactional relationship? Are you checking the list? Have you forgotten why we're called to live the way that we do? Have you replaced the law of God with traditions of men? It is so easy to do. As a follower of Christ, it feels like we should be able to make a list of the things that we need to do to grow in our faith. Attend church. Check. Read my Bible. Check. Pray. Check. Looks pretty good. Um, But are you honoring the Sabbath day? Are you taking time to realign your heart with the Lord and his plan for the week ahead? To rest in his goodness? Are you hiding the word of God in your heart? Or are you reading just to get the answers for your study as an intellectual exercise? Are you praying like Jesus prayed? Or are you zooming down your list of things and people to pray for and moving on with your day? Are you taking time to praise God for his provision and sovereignty? Are you taking time to listen? In the past year, God has really been challenging me with this. Um, I was quite busy checking the list. Not only my good follower of Christ list, but also my mom list, my wife list, my friend list, all the lists. And I wasn't doing any of them very well. Sure, some days I was crushing it. Totally doing great. Um, (laughs) But other days left me feeling so frazzled and pulled in a million directions. Through the gentle encouragement of sweet mentors and friends, I started to realize that my problem wasn't my list. My problem was my focus. My focus was on completing the task, not on abiding in the Lord and relying on him as my strength. I needed to improve my mothering by letting Christ fill my cup and take my struggles to him instead of staying up late cramming in the latest Christian parenting book. God was calling me to look up from my mundane tasks and focus on him, to spend time reflecting on his goodness to abide in him as I planned my day and went throughout my day, holding it all open-handed for him to use for his glory and my good, and to hold my plans for the future loosely and lean into what God had placed in my path. That all sounds real nice, (laughs) but it is so much easier to write on paper and to say in a lecture than it is to do in reality. I still miss the mark more often than I hit it, But I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My charge, our charge from God is to keep pressing in and examining our hearts and walking in what God has called us to do. When we do this, we'll see that the list of tasks or rules isn't needed. The relationship will develop and provide the security and identity as the daughter of the Most High God. So let's change track for a moment. There's another piece here in the scripture that I'd like to touch on. I'd like to talk about traditions. If you know me, traditions are a big deal for me. (laughs) Uh, What traditions do we have? What traditions do we have in place? We see them throughout the Bible, and we have them in our churches today. Right now, we're in the season of the tradition of Lent. We're coming up on the tradition of the Easter celebrations. One of the most significant uh, traditions in Jesus' time was that of the Passover, In Exodus 12, Moses tells the Israelites about the plan for the Lord's Passover rite. He tells them, And when your children say to you, 
What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Each year, the Jewish people were called to set aside time to remember what God had done for them to protect them from when they were in bondage in Egypt and reflect on the hope they had in God to free them and provide for them. So the tradition helped reorient their lives and their relationship with God. As I was working on this lesson, the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, came to mind, particularly this portion of the second verse. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thine help I come. Ebenezer, that's a word. It means stone of help. And if you're with us in our fall study of Samuel, you might remember that Jesus, that Jesus, that Samuel took the stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. It called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Samuel felt that it was important to set up a reminder so that the Israelites would not forget how God had provided for them in giving victory over the Philistines. So, how do you remember how God has helped you? If we don't remember, how easily we forget. Do your traditions help you remember? Or are they a lot of pomp with no substance? Are they a tradition of men? Or do they point you right back to your relationship with our Savior? The Pharisees had created a lot of traditions that I'm sure seemed like a good idea at the time. They seemed holy even. But Jesus makes it clear in this passage from Mark that these traditions weren't drawing them closer to God. Their hearts were far from God and ultimately made void the word of God. They held their traditions higher than people and higher than a relationship with the Creator. Traditions should remind us. They should help us remember that this is what you believe. This is who you trust. This is who you are. And this is who you love. A favorite resource of mine um, is the book Risen Motherhood. And in the book, the author Laura Whiffler addresses traditions and concludes with this. When Christ is our greatest treasure, our love for him will spill over into our daily and special traditions. Traditions are designed to reset our hearts, not prove our worth. Because these activities don't make us right before God. Christ already has. So, let's move now to... Don't, don't do that yet. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's move on to chapter 8, where Jesus is with another huge crowd, and there's a similar dilemma as when he was feeding the 5,000. A lot of people, not a lot of food. Okay. In, in verse 2, Scripture says that Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He is aware of and is sensitive to their needs, and he presents the problem to the disciples. I love how Max portrays this exchange. We um, saw some of his clips with Amy's lecture. Um, so let's take a look at how he portrays this. Distance, his disciples answered. But where in this remote place can anyone find enough bread to feed them? <laughs> how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. Jesus told the such a little segment, but we don't know how much time has passed between the two crowd scenarios, but throughout the time that Jesus spends with the disciples, he consistently provides for them, and he performs miracles beyond anyone's comprehension, but the disciples still don't get it. They forget who they're with. They forget who he is, and they forget that their relationship with Jesus is like none other. When they trust in him, they are provided for. Maybe enough time has passed, since the feeding of the 5,000, that it's not fresh in their mind. Maybe there were so many crowds that the details just all blended together. 
Maybe this crowd was different enough that they didn't put the pieces together on their own. Who knows? But they definitely forgot. In the portrayal by Max, you see that the disciples have a light bulb moment. Like, aha! They remember what Jesus can do, and they get an instant hope for what is to come next. He can feed everyone with a meager offering. Problem solved. How great is God to send us opportunities to remember his goodness instead of chastising our forgetfulness? Additionally, Jesus provides for the future by providing seven baskets of leftovers. Do you see yourself in this story? Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember who you're with and the power that he has? If you tend to forget, how can you remember? Do you need an Ebenezer to mark the place where God has provided for you in your time of distress? Now, when I say Ebenezer, I don't literally mean a stone, but if that gets you there, go for it. Um, I've seen lots of ideas for this, everything from journaling or writing down your answered prayers or having a special photo in a prominent spot or even having an annual celebration of a significant point where God um, delivered you from a significant battle in your life. And yes, even traditions can help us remember. In the short, a short time after feeding the 4,000, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. Lots of good teaching happening in that boat. Again, I feel like Max McLean does a great job of bringing this section to life, so let's take a look. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discuss this amongst themselves. It is because we have no bread. (laughs) Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they answered. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? They answered. Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? So this kind of makes us chuckle. But man, do you see yourself in this story? I do. Do you hear Jesus lovingly ask, do you not yet perceive or understand? Based on the order of events in Scripture, it seems like not a terribly long amount of time has passed since the feeding of the 4,000. They traveled a bit, had a run-in with the Pharisees, and then hop right back in the boat, and here we are. But still, the disciples don't understand how Jesus is the provider of all things. I don't know about you, but I am so, so forgetful. I need a regular glass of ice water to the face just to remember. Even in preparing this teaching, I struggled so much to know that God is going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish, even if I get up here and totally tank. He's done it before, and he'll do it again, but yet I worry Just like the healing of the blind man, remembering who God is and remembering to abide in him is a process. 
we have to embrace that process and build rhythms into our life that will constantly point us back to Jesus. In closing, I'd like us to reflect on the final words from Come Thou Fount. There it is. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Father, I'm just so grateful for these ladies and for this time we've had together. I ask that you would just take the words that I've offered today and use them as you need to. Let anything that is from you that needs to go into these ladies' hearts just penetrate. And anything that's not of you, just let them forget it as soon as they walk away from this room. I ask that you be with all of us in the coming weeks and bring us together again in a couple weeks. In your name we pray. Amen.